So uh, if you haven't been here at all during the month of June uh, and are just joining us, we are coming, you're coming in at the tail end of a conversation about the Bible, as you just saw specifically uh, on the bumper. It's specifically about how to understand and make sense of it. Uh, because the Bible really is this sprawling epic, and it's full of twists and turns. It's got a bajillion sort of side characters and stories. Uh, but one of the things we've been talking about all month is that it's all interconnected. It's one giant elaborate story. And, and a big part of what makes, what makes it so complex sometimes is that it's not just one book. It's a library of books. It's a library of books. It contains different contexts and different genres and different writing and literary styles. And so we wanted to do this series um, because it's really easy to get confused when you're reading it. It's easy to get lost in the details and the characters or the side stories and, and, and to begin to miss the forest because you're so focused on the trees when you're reading it. And, and so all month long, we've been building this really quite simple sort of framework together that's based on the four main movements or the four main themes from the story of the Bible so that we can have a, a, a tool to start to make sense of what it's all about. And so because there are four main movements in the story, the framework is built around four simple words that summarize each of those movements. And those words are of, between, with, and today is the word in. And when you put them all together, kind of the, not just those words, but where they fall in the story, um, this is what it looks like. And I think this breakdown is helpful. I don't know if you guys have seen this slide yet in this series, but these are the four main movements in the story of the scriptures and really the parts of the Bible that tell those, that, that, that part of the story. And so you have the very beginning of the story. In week one, we talked about the word of, and that's just the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And it, even though it's a shorter part of the story, it's really, really important to know that you didn't just come from somewhere, that you are of God, that God created you, that he breathed into you. You can escape where you're from, but you cannot escape who you're of, that God has put his imprint all over you, that you were made in his image. Uh, and then we move to between, and the rest of the Old Testament is the between stuff. I mean, it's all kinds of stories and, and all kinds of efforts that God is making to bridge the gap, the distance between us and him. And, and then it moves to the Gospels of the New Testament. And last week, uh, Charlie talked about with um, and the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first chapter of Acts. And, and today, we're going to cover the last part, that last word that covers the rest of the New Testament, that word, in. So if you haven't been here, I just want to encourage you to go back, look up the podcast, and take a listen to the last couple of weeks. So as I said a second ago, uh, we just got back from vacation. A huge shout out to all of the people that make this place go um, and for making it all happen when we're not here. Uh, we had a ton of fun and uh, got a lot, uh, a lot of rest and some downtime. Had a chance, I had a chance to actually think and daydream and let my mind wander, which really isn't that hard for me to begin with because that's sort of something that happens on a regular basis for me. Um, kind of ADD, just sort of trailing off and chasing rabbits and, look, you know, oh, look, a bird, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I already have all these sort of random thoughts. Uh, I just have a lot more of them when I'm, when I'm on vacation. Now, if you've ever been to Hawaii, you know that there are chickens everywhere. It kind of started initially, you know, it was mainly like on Kauai, but now it doesn't matter what island you go to, there's chickens everywhere. And so I was sitting around thinking deeply one day about chickens, and I thought, why can't 
chickens fly. I mean, I know they can sort of flap around and get off the ground a little bit and get up and over a fence if you don't clip their wings, etc. But you've never had a moment where you're staring at the sky and you go, oh, look, there's a flock of chickens flying over there. You've never, you've never had that moment. And so these are the deep sort of life-changing issues your pastor thinks about um, while he's on vacation. So, but I, I started to do a little bit of research because I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this. And, and so as I kind of dug into it, basically chickens at one time could fly, but they forgot how. Or, or more accurately, they were designed to fly, but they gave it up over time because of the environment in which they live. And, and so it said Chickens, this is, this is literally a quote, chickens lost their ability to fly when they became domesticated and fat. <laughs> and so I'm just going to take a moment and let you apply that to whatever life, whatever part of your life you want to apply it to. We could probably just stop here and close in prayer and we've all got something really powerful we could take home with us. But it went on, it said their wings became too weak and their feet adapted to walking. Easy feeding and safe living stole their flight. They no longer needed to hunt because they were being fed. They no longer needed to fear being hunted because they were being protected. And so they just became a source of food. <laughs> a couple days later, um, I was on Instagram and I came across a video of a guy in New Jersey who was out on a lake and he was fishing when he heard this huge splash in the water off to his right, scared him half to death. When he looked up, there was this giant eagle in the water and it had caught a fish, but the fish was too big and too heavy for it to even take off and fly with it. So the eagle was swimming across the lake dragging that fish across the lake, got all the way over to the shore, dragged it up on, pulled it out of the water, dragged it up onto the shore. It was awesome to watch this because he pulled out his phone and he was just, you know, recording as it was happening. It was awesome. He, and it hit me, the eagles are like the opposite of chickens, right? With their size and their strength and their sight. And it's not just that they can fly. I mean, that's obviously a, a huge difference between eagles and chickens, but it's that they, they can soar, eagles can soar to over 12,000 feet in the air and, and they can reach speeds of 150 miles an hour when they dive. And, and on top of all that, they can fly in almost any conditions. Now, wouldn't it be absurd for a chicken to hear like a motivational speech and decide that it was going to try to live like an eagle. That, that would be absurd, of course. But I, I think that's, that's kind of the world that we live in. One where we hope that we get inspired enough to stop living like chickens and start acting like eagles. And so we're told in our culture, right, if you just act like an eagle and believe that you're an eagle and you think like an eagle, you'll be an eagle, but most of the time, we end up just being these really awkward and disappointed chickens that need therapy our whole life because we're trying to be eagles, <laughs> right? And you'll never soar to 10,000 feet or 12,000 feet or dive at 100 miles an hour except in your little chicken dreams. And the truth is, I think this actually has a lot for us in this conversation today. I, because I think this is actually how a lot of us think about faith, that that. It's God telling us chickens that we need to get our act together and start acting like eagles. And it's frustrating because inside, we maybe even feel like there's an eagle trapped inside our little chicken body just waiting to break free. But we live most of our lives defeated because we can't become who or what God is asking us 
to become. And it's, it's that tension that's really at the core of our conversation today. So last week, Charlie talked about with, as you saw on that slide. And with, with was a game changer because God with us, God with humanity shifted everything. For most of human history, because of our choices and our sin, there was all this stuff, all this noise, all this space between us and God. But that all changed with Jesus. And so in the Gospels, what we read about when we begin to read about the story of Jesus is that God so wanted closeness with us that he was willing to limit his divinity by taking on humanity. That in order to get close, to, in order to be with us, that he became one of us. See, with changed everything. But here's the thing. That's actually not where the story ends. And most of the time in church, and, and if you've been a person of faith or a follower of Jesus for any length of time, most of the time we act like and talk like and live like it is where the story ends, but it isn't. And it's certainly not where the scriptures end. The Bible doesn't end with the gospels and the life of Jesus. There's 23 other books in the New Testament. See, God being with us changed everything, but it's not the end of the story. In fact, this was something that Jesus talked about all the time. And every time he talked about it, the problem was everybody got confused because they really felt like with was the point. With was the end. That God had showed up. And so this is, this is it. There's nothing else. And so as Jesus started talking about it, everybody was just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, we don't know what, what you're saying, what you're describing. So there's a, there's a moment in John chapter 14 in the New Testament where that's exactly what happens. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where somebody is explaining something and everybody who's listening is completely confused and they're in the dark about what's happening, but nobody admits it. Everybody's just nodding along like, yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. And you're just like, I don't know what that guy was saying. I don't, you know, they leave and you're just, well, that's how when you read John chapter 14, that's how it kind of reads. And so eventually this guy named Thomas is like, he pipes up and is like, um, yeah, Jesus, uh, we're kind of lost. Like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so Jesus begins to try to help them understand again. But the more he explains, the more questions they have and the more lost they get and the more confused they get, which makes me feel good as a communicator that even the son of God was trying to explain something. And the more he explained it, people were like, what is he talking about? So finally, Jesus is like, look, you know what? When it happens, you'll get it. You're just going to have to trust me on this. In fact, he kind of actually says something that, like that. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 11, this is Jesus talking. He says, look, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. And I, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. And so they're like, wait, how in the world could anyone do greater things than, well, God in human form? How could anybody do anything greater than what you've done? And as Jesus is talking, they're completely hung up on the fact that he's now talking about leaving. And so they're like, wait, go back to the, the part where you're leaving. But Jesus is like, I really want you guys to get this. And so he just keeps plowing ahead. And so in verse 16, he says this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another He's talking about when he's gone. I will ask the father and he will give you another, the advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads 
into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it, doesn't, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you. There's that with part. And later he'll be in you. Verse 19 says, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will, you will see me. And since I live, you will also live. And when I'm raised to life again, you, know, you will know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And this is so good. If you're confused, welcome to the club because they were confused because Jesus is like, all right, guys, I need to go away, but I need to go away, but I'm never going to leave. And as long as I'm with you, I can't be with you. And so I have to leave you so that I can never leave you. But just because I'm leaving you doesn't mean that you'll be without me because only, it's only once I'm gone that I'm not gone because once I'm gone, I'll really be with you because I'll be in you. Do you get it? And they're just like, what are you talking about? That, I mean, you go back and read Jesus' words. That, you're just like, whoa. He's like, I'm not leaving, but I'm leaving and I'll be with you, but I'll be gone. And then I'll be with you. And then I won't be with you. And then someone else will be with you and we'll all be together. And they're just like, whoa. And and it's really easy to poke fun at the disciples who were listening to Jesus talk for not getting what he was talking about. But Jesus was describing how something that had never existed before was going to work. And it's just really hard. It's really hard to do that. So I, I didn't, I didn't get on an airplane until I was an adult. Like, I don't know what vacations were like for you, but my family's pretty poor. So vacations, when I was a kid, was a road trip to grandma's house. That was vacation. We didn't go anywhere just for fun. We went to my cousin's house or to grandma's house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we didn't stay in hotels. Like, we slept in the car on the side of the road on the way there. If it was a multi-day trip, we just pulled over at a rest stop and slept in the car. You just deal with it. So... Because of that, again, we only took road trips and we never got on the road for a road trip without a map. We always just had one of the fold-up maps that you could pick up at any of the gas stations. My dad would just sort of buy them as we went along. And I remember the first time I saw a Thomas Guide, you know what I'm talking about? Like the big, thick book, spiral bound. It was like, oh, I mean, it was like the gold standard of maps. It was awesome. If you're under 30, Google it because you have no idea what any of this stuff means. But, but imagine just for a moment trying to explain GPS and the Maps app on your phone to someone in 1952, right? So yeah, eventually like you're going to be able to get all the maps for everything, for the whole world off this little pocket TV that's connected to these machines called computers all over the world through invisible space beams. I don't, they're from satellite metal that's orbiting the earth. Satellite, and like they would just, they'd look at you like the disciples probably looked at Jesus. What? I know all those words. I know you're speaking my language. I don't know what you're saying. Only it's actually way more complicated than maps and apps when we're talking about who we are and who we're created to be, when we're talking about who God is and what we need from him and what he's done for us. See, there are 8 billion people on the planet just today, currently, right? And there was only one Jesus. And so God became flesh and bone and it changed everything because he was with us. But it was Jesus's very flesh and very bones that confined him to time and space, limiting him to being in one place at one time at any one point in time. Jesus could only be with us 
when he was with us. And so Jesus, in talking to his followers, he begins shifting the story from with to in. From God merely being with us in Jesus to God being in us through the Holy Spirit. See, God isn't just like out there or back then or with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is in you. This is huge because I I think we're mostly having the wrong conversations in church because we keep talking about right and wrong and good and bad, but God is trying to shift that conversation, shift that story. The conversation God is wanting us, God is wanting to have with you and I isn't about right or wrong or good or bad. It's about old and new, right? We, we get stuck in the back and forth between right and wrong and good and bad, and God's going, no, it doesn't. It's about old and new. And, and the conversation about old and new definitely starts with with, Definitely started when God came and was with us, but it finishes or is completed with God being in us. And I think this is the reason why we get stuck playing the whole chicken eagle game, right? We think, I'm just going to try to act like an eagle today, even if I know that I'm a chicken, right? Or for a lot of us, maybe you're an eagle and you just don't know it. You're still acting like a chicken. And so, We get trapped in that loop and it's because we keep thinking it all comes down to right and wrong and good and bad, but it doesn't. It comes down to old and new. See, in nature, a chicken can never become an eagle and an eagle could never become a chicken. And outside of God, the same is true for us. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, no matter how much bad we eliminate or how much good we try to do with our life, no matter how badly we want it, we're just chickens. If there's no old and new, we're wasting our time. We'll just be the same as we've always been, and nothing will ever be new about our life ever. We're doomed to live beneath our design and intention and to never actually know the life that God created us for, to just exist. And the message of Jesus has been so clear Christianity is not about religion. It's not about you taking incremental steps to getting better. It's always been about life change. It's always been about moving from death to life, from old to new. See, the the scriptures are ancient, but they are not antiquated in any way. Because when you begin to read them, God God doesn't take you into a conversation about the past or even a conversation about your past. He begins leading you into the future. See, the conversation that we mostly have in a lot of churches, right, the conversation we engage with people about is their past. What have you done? Where have you been? What, how have you messed up? How, how have you broken? And, and God's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's great. I love you. I want to heal you. I've, I've handled that with handled that. I want to make you new. I want to take you into the future. I want to create in you something brand new. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the apostle Paul, he wrote these words. He said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that he lives not with you, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that he will give life to your bodies by the same spirit living in you. I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about what he's saying. Think about 
implications of that, that the same power and the same presence of God that dwelt in Jesus, that raised him from the dead, that it now lives and moves and breathes inside of you, that there's resurrecting life and it's transforming your life from the inside out, that you're no longer alone or dependent on your own power or perspective or willpower or wisdom, that all God has is available to you and in you. See, with was about restoration. It was about recapturing something that was lost in of in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. But in is about transformation. With rescues us from who we were, but in empowers us for who we're becoming. With was about restoring all that was lost. In is about creating something new. With brings life. In brings power. Now, the hard part about this conversation, I think, for a lot of us, is that there's been so much craziness about and around the Holy Spirit that it's sort of hijacked the conversation. So we just never go there, and we never really talk about them. We're comfortable, you know, we kind of move down a continuum of being sort of comfortable initially talking about God, and Jesus kind of makes us uncomfortable. And then we meet Jesus, and we're like, oh, okay, it's hard to be uncomfortable with somebody that's changing my life, right? And so we kind of get comfortable talking about Jesus, but it never progresses. Like, from there, we're just like, yeah, let's just keep it right here on Jesus. And yet the conversation in the New Testament shifts to one about the Holy Spirit. See, because the Holy Spirit is how God lives in us and works through us, guiding and guarding and loving and leading our lives. Because they're all one, that's why they couldn't get what Jesus was saying. Because he's going, I'm going to send that other one, and I got to get out of here because I'm limited in this body. But like when I send him, like we're all that we're we're all coming. Like I'll be with you when he's with you, and I'll be with you because he's in you. Like that, that's why it was so confusing to them. So Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, he, he was just as confused as the rest of them anytime Jesus started talking about this stuff. Um, but, but once it all started unfolding, and you can actually read about it in the first chapter of the book of Acts, once it all started unfolding, once he experienced it, then he got it. And so years later, he wrote some letters to some of the new churches that were forming, and he's talking to all the new Christians, and he writes about this very thing. Look at what he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, by, speaking of God, by his divine power, God has given us everything, 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 everything we need for living a godly life, the life we were designed to live, the life that God wants us to live, the life that God invites us into. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you, don't miss this part, that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by all the human mess. So Peter's writing and he's going, look, you have everything, not some of the things, not a lot of the things, 
Not a few of the things. You have everything you need to live the life that you were created for. The moment that you stepped into relationship with Jesus, that he gave it all to you. His grace, his love, his peace, his excellence, to use Peter's words, his marvelous glory. But you don't just get to experience all the good that he's created, all the good about him. You actually get to share in and experience who he is, that his nature can become your nature, that he comes and lives inside of you. Which means that all the brokenness and all the corruption and all the weakness and all the failure of your humanity and of mine, all the stuff that's holding you back and holding you down and makes you less and keeps you stuck, all of it. Through him, you can overcome, that you can rise above, that you can be more. I, I know when we come to church, we often experience it as hopefully this is the way that you experience it, but that we come to experience it as something that fills us up, right? That, that we're receiving something from outside of us that sort of, refuels us, that refreshes us. And, and I get that, and it makes sense. But, but I also want you to understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, honestly, this time was never designed to be a time that we're trying to put something into you. It was designed to be a time when we're trying to draw something out of you that's already in you because you have everything. God's already put it in you when you stepped in by faith into a relationship with Jesus. It's already in you. Otherwise, Peter's a liar. Because he's in you, it's all in you. Everything you need to live and become who God created you to be, it's all in there. God uniquely and distinctly pours himself into us, into your life, into mine, making us new and transforming our lives and our very nature because he's in side of us, which is mind-blowing. But here's the kicker, I think, to all of this. The power, and maybe just the cherry on top, the power and presence of God, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is fully available to all of us equally, but it's not identically. And here's what I mean. Who you were meant to be and what you are meant to do come from the same place. That God doesn't just give us random gifts. He gives you gifts and what he deposits in your life. And the part of him that, he's, that you tap into that he's living is consistent with who he created you to be. He's not trying to make you somebody else. He's trying to make you who you were created to be. And maybe the the piece that we often miss is that none of this, it, none, of it's, none of it's for us. And what I mean by that is that God wants, God wants you to leverage everything he put in your life, everything he put into you to build something bigger than you. Yeah, he wants you to build a beautiful life. It's God honoring when you love your life and you live a beautiful, good life but he also wants you to build a beautiful world. 
that he wants you to, 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 to be his agent of love and building pockets of his kingdom where the world actually works differently in this little pocket because he's living in us and we don't treat each other the way people outside who he's not living in treat each other. That we don't treat people outside the way that they treat us. That, that, that the way that we interact and love and support and are there for one another, the way that we bear one another's burdens, the way that we share and love and forgive, that all of that happens through your life, that we're building something beautiful and powerful to get together. I, I think the danger in this conversation is we live in a culture where the stuff that I'm talking about, it, it, especially when you think about it in terms of the eagle chicken metaphor I shared a little while ago, it, it, it starts sounding like a lot of the stuff that we hear in culture. It's just trying to hype us up, trying to motivate us to climb higher and go up another mountain and make more money and do more and maximize this. And, and there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. But if you're anything like me, there's part of you that's sort of cynical about all that stuff. Because when you hear people talking about that, you start going, okay, what's the catch? Like, what are you trying to sell me? What 10-week program am I going to have to do, right? What, what formula am I going to have to buy from you? Why, why can't I just live my life and make a living and be a husband and a dad and you just leave me alone, right? That, that's how I start to think and feel about all that. But, but I... I what I want you to take away from today is that this is not that at all. It's fundamentally not that. This is actually about life. This is about God's intention for you. It's about who you and I were created to become. Who you and I will actually be together as a church. I, mean, it's, I, I think there's part of us, or maybe this was just me, where I'm thinking, I mean, yeah, eagles are awesome, but also I've reached a point in my life where being a chicken ain't so bad, right? Or, or maybe you're content being an eagle that acts like a chicken. Maybe you're fine with just being a chicken. And, and here's the thing that I'll say to that. You may not have some great need, some driving need to be great, but I can tell you that the world needs your greatness because God always works through people. The world needs the greatness that exists in you when God lives in you, when you actually move and operate in who he created you to be. Whatever God has placed inside of you that could ever be described as great, it was never meant for you. It was given to you, but it wasn't, it's not for you. Because any amount of greatness, no matter what it looks like, it never belongs to the one who has it. It belongs to the world who so desperately needs it. In Matthew chapter 28, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, and this epic story shifts or moves from the whole movement of with to in, Jesus says this, in verse 20, he says this to his disciples. He says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the very end, to the end of the age. 
And, and that is an incredible promise all by itself. But that promise actually comes at the end of what we call the Great Commission. See, Jesus gathers them around just before he ascends to heaven. And, and he essentially says, hey, you guys, this thing that I've done with and for you, all that we've done and built and experienced together, take that to the whole world. Go and replicate it over and over and over again. Take the things that I've said to you, take the things you've seen me do, and go and do that. And he's going, you don't know it yet, but in is coming. And the thing that I'm assigning you to do this thing that I'm describing and telling you to do, this is what I want to happen. This is what will be possible as a result of in. Because with has moved the ball as far as it can move it. The only way this whole thing is going to get done is if we go from with to in. Because you were meant to live for more than just you. And that's what I want to say to you this morning is that God isn't just with you, that he wants to live in you. That the old is gone. If you, if you are a person of faith, if you have a relationship with Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come, that that is possible. Don't settle for living like a chicken. You were meant for more. You were meant to fly. And because life is about more than just you, there's something that you were meant to give yourself to that's bigger than you. And the question is, how do you actually do that? How do you give yourself to something bigger than you? Well, you do it by using all of the gifts and all of the good that God's given to you, that God's placed inside of you to accomplish his purposes. See, there, there are a million, if we sat down, there are a million incredible things about you. There just are. But just take a moment and, you know, because I know you're self-deprecating, you're all very, very humble. This is very hard to do. Take a moment, though, and just create a quick top five of your top, like your top, the best things about you. Go ahead. Some of you are like, I have that literally, like, on recall. Like, I have that list already. Can recite it. That's what I put on my dating profile, all right? So what are those things? What, what would the people who know you best and love you most, what, what would those people say are the five best things about you? Would it, would it be character traits? Would it be perspectives or gifts or skills or abilities? Well, the point is that God put all of that inside of you. And imagine if you just aim just those five things, not, not all of the good, not all of the, the totality of who you are. Just imagine if you just aimed just those five things in his direction and put them in his hands at his disposal. I mean, imagine what God could do in your life and through your life for your family and your community and your neighborhood and for your church and for this city and for the world. Imagine now if, if just 10% of us did that or 50%. I mean, it would just blow our minds, right? What we could do together in this valley if we all just took some of the best things that God has deposited in our lives and pointed them in his direction. It'd change everything. It'd change everything for sure about our church, right? We couldn't get a, bit, a, a room big enough to fit all the people in if there was a big contingency of us doing that. We'd have to invent ways to, keep, to, to be able to help people to serve instead of begging, like, could you help please one time, right? Because it in changes everything. 
But here's the deal. And this is maybe the place that we all need to come to and sort of start, is that in doesn't happen without Jesus. Jesus came and dealt with all the sin and the darkness, healing our brokenness, bridging the gap between us and God. What Jesus did made it possible for a perfect, righteous, holy God to come and live, live inside of broken, sinful, unholy people. God with us is the only way that God in us is possible. And, and so we're going to pray in just a moment. But there's some of us that I think need to back up and maybe start with with. We need to start with the reality that God has come, that Jesus came, that he came for us, that he's God with us. And begin to step into that space where we open our heart and we say, God, I just give you my life. And some of us need to realize that we've been living in relationship with God through Jesus, but we've been stuck in with. And it's time for us to shift to in, to realize that God is living in us, that we have, as Peter said, access to his divine nature that we have everything we need at our disposal to not continue doing that same stupid thing over and over and over again that's held you down for years of your life. To not fall prey to that thing that keeps short-circuiting all your relationships, that keeps dragging you into the darkness. That, that you have everything you need. That God living in you to move past all of that and to leverage what he's placed inside of you for the good of the world around you. Let's pray together.